0: That is such crap. How dare you be so fraudulently flirtatious, cowardly, and dysfunctional. I am not interested in emotional fuckwittage. Goodbye.
1: Oh my goodness. We have a line reading with an accent. I have to say, Steve, in the dark, I was not prepared for that. I, I'm pretty impressed. A, a damn fine casual English. That's, that's good. Nicely done.
0: Oh man, you're too kind. Thank you very much.
1: Listeners, welcome back to Takes of Our Lives. This is season two, episode one, which means we're talking about... No, no, no. If you thought season two, episode one of The O.C., you're wrong. We are talking about Bridget Jones' Diary the Novel. Record Scratch, Emergency Break, etc. If you didn't listen to the last episode of the last season, uh, you might be you know, suffering a little whiplash from this tonal shift. Let me put you at ease. Takes of Our Lives is a show about many different kinds of media, and we're going to try out something a little different this season, aren't we, Steve? A little mini-season about a series of romantic comedies, the original book that inspired them, and all of the interesting... Likeable, lovable, hateable stuff that comes entailed.
0: We are back. I am so excited. Exactly what you said is true. It is it's a tonal shift maybe from the media that we're uh exploring, but not a tonal shift from the podcast itself. The podcast will have a very similar tone. Um hopefully you liked it the first go around. But I did mess around and thought about doing this entire pod in a British accent. Thank you for the compliment. I decided to spare the listener and you, uh, so I will be using my normal American Midwestern voice.
1: Steve, I think my goodwill for that accent would have run out pretty quickly <laughs> if uh, we were to do it at length. I, so demanded, I, I think You've added just the right amount.
0: Imagine if I demanded on doing the entire podcast in a British <laughs> accent, and
1: season two ends in creative differences. But uh, I'm super excited. Uh, a couple of interesting things right off the bat about our new season, getting the technical details out of the way before we talk about like why why are we doing Bridget Jones diary as a as a block of media It's our first book and it will be our first movies we've discussed TV shows uh, primarily and actually only TV shows up until this point. I think my vision for the show, Steve, and I think we're aligned on this is to sort of float between whatever type of media we think is interesting or speaks to us. And, uh, you know, that'll often be TV. But for now, we're doing a little multimedia project.
0: Yeah. uh, One of the things that we talked a lot about um, in the OC podcast season one was the rewatch element of it. And so this is something that we watched together. I think it was my first time watching it. You, I think, had mentioned that you'd seen it before, but, you know, wasn't like a fundamental text for you uh the first movie i'm referring to the first movie um and so when we're kind of talking and chatting about things we wanted to do for uh foregoing or ongoing seasons of this podcast you know something that we had both experienced either together or separately was something that was what we wanted to focus on uh so that that met that criteria or bridget jones did and then like you said doing the book that was kind of like something fun that we hadn't tried yet I don't know. Just in general, just for me, you know, kind of like trying to wrap our arms around something that doesn't necessarily come as natural to us in, in terms of like the source text. Um, sa- same thing for me. Bridget Jones is not something that, you know, is real foundational uh, for me. Not like the way the OC was anyway. But yeah, that just that element of it, too, I thought would be a kind of a fun challenge and just uh, not to get too navel gazy, but something something to kind of keep us interested in it.
1: Yeah, well said. I think that echoes a lot of my sentiments. You know, I think uh, what excites me about media, you know, beyond the stuff that you might call, like, intellectually stimulating, the stuff that I watch as um, more broad enjoyment, uh, I like to play in this in this realm of not being quite sure whether I'm enjoying it kind of... Uh, naturally or if i'm enjoying it ironically or if it's some sort of weird monstrous mutant blend between the two things and when you can find media or when we can find media because we often do this as as friends we watch these sort of things together uh, i think that's really fun place to play in and i think bridget jones has a lot going for it as a media entity in that regard it's got some stuff that I really like about it as a series and, you know, it turns out as a novel as well, though I'm reading it for the first time. And uh, and it's got some things that are kind of like totally off the wall, totally novel. It it was a pretty important text in some ways to many people and it's been uh, talked about and lauded, right, rightfully so. Uh, but it's also got some some just stuff that you can laugh at just as a a good old fashioned farce so uh it's it's surprisingly dense, surprisingly rife with stuff to talk about in my own opinion at least and i I'm really excited to see how it
0: goes. It could be an utter disaster, but uh, <laughs> I have high hopes no I, I getting back to what you just said about the um the thing about what you're kind of like interrogating the reasons why you're enjoying it, and I mean it's something that you and I talk a lot about, and I think that Bridget Jones threads the needle nicely for me it is I'm, it's like undeniably enjoyable for me and I'm not entirely sure why and I feel like chatting about it with you it'll help me answer that question not that that's like the most important question but just in a larger sense I think like interrogating your tastes interrogating one's tastes and interrogating one's like preconceptions of whatever it is um is like a worthwhile endeavor and I think that for me, that's what this is going to be a lot. The other thing, what, what this has that uh, a lot of the other stuff that I just kind of take in and my, you know, left to my own devices, left to my own choices. And honestly, at this point, the way that media works now, you can kind of watch whatever you want, whenever you want. One of the things I miss is putting on a movie or a show or not even putting on, but watching a movie or a show that I would otherwise have no interest in consuming simply because there are just no other options at that moment. And like I said, now we live in a world where all options are available at any moment. Um, It's kind of fun to go back in time a little bit back to when, you know, I mean, the reason we watched this in the first place, we were at an Airbnb in Seattle for our uh, friend Natalie and Derek's wedding, and there was a selection of DVDs. Bridget Jones was in the mix. Um, Pre-Netflix
1: think, being preloaded in all these smart TVs and the Airbnbs. Right. Was, yeah. It was um, that, It
0: was that kind of a weird time. I think it was like 2015 or 2016. Well, for whatever reason, this Airbnb didn't have like the Roku with Netflix on it, but they did have like a stash of DVDs. I remember the, the Notting Hill case was there, but there was no DVD in it. And, Our uh, disappointment was <laughs> immeasurable. Can you imagine what life would have been like if we watched Notting Hill instead? This would be
1: the Notting Hill cast.
0: <laughs> do Sarah and I even get married if that happens? <laughs>
1: uh, but um, You're right, but yeah. Steve. You're totally right. The, that idea of of exposure by happenstance and how it impacts and infects and changes our taste is, is very fascinating. I think we'll get to the bottom of that uh, as we do this uh, four-part season two. But before we get into it, Steve, I want to just give the the broadest, simplest Wikipedia-style context about the the media property that we're investigating. So we're going to start with the book, the first book, called Bridget Jones' Diary. This was written in 1996, which will inform a lot of the references made within, by Helen Fielding. And it was originally a column that appeared in magazines and later became a published work. Now, it also has... Three sequels itself, literary sequels, Bridget Jones' The Edge of Reason, the second book, Bridget Jones' About a Boy, the third book, and Bridget Jones' Baby, the fourth book. This eventually was adapted into three movies, the second and fourth books becoming movies in their own right. I don't know why Bridget Jones' About a Boy got looked over. This is is not the time or place. If you're a big Bridget Jones' About a Boy fan, write. Helen feeling herself, or your local barrister, or whoever is uh, <laughs> important in making that decision. Uh, but we are not going to talk about all four books. We're just going to talk about the first book to sort of set the stage, and then we're going to talk about the three movies.
0: Yes, and uh, if we're being honest, the big reason we wanted to do this is really to bring the blowtorch to Bridget Jones: Edge of Reason, the second movie. Um, but this we'll- is all just window dressing <laughs> and parsley,
1: just to to nuke. Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. We'll
0: get there in due time. Uh, yeah, before that, there's a lot of yeah pages to discuss and the, the entire first movie. So for anyone out there who's listening to this podcast and doesn't know what Bridget Jones is about, I'll give a quick synopsis of the story. Please uh, do. Bridget Jones is a 30-something woman living in the mid-90s in London. And the book is A Year in the Life, told through her diary entries, where she discusses her relationships with friends, family, her self-image, work, alcohol, and probably most crucially, her romantic interests. This book was a smashing success. It won the 1998 British Book of the Year Award. It sold millions of copies worldwide. It ranked number 75 in The Big Read, which was a survey conducted by the BBC in 2003 where they attempted to find the nation's best love novel of all time. So, yeah, it's got a lot of esteem. I personally like it because I think this book is a real testament to how many times an author can put the words mini-break in, like, an eight-page <laughs> section of a novel. So it's got a lot going for it.
1: Oh, you took my, uh, you <laughs> took my joke, but I was going to say Alsatian. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I read that as <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Okay. We should Steve, come up with the... <laughs> yeah, excellent
1: we'll- synopsis, though. That, that's really, that encapsulates it. Should we kick things off by talking about the simplest question of all time in terms of a
0: piece of media? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I will, I will say I enjoyed this quite a bit. I was actually completely delighted by this book. I think the for the number one reason probably being like it's just a real breezy read uh the structure makes it really easy to just kind of keep consuming it there there's short entries that are like usually pretty funny mixed with like a few or longer ones we kind of joked about the structure of this where it's like it's some in some ways she like really goes out of her way to make it read like a journal entry where she's using like vg instead of very good like you know she'll use like uh like, abbreviations for stuff and, you know, write shorthand. And then in other cases, it's just really very much, you know, written like a novel where there's just, like, long paragraphs of, like, word by word, you know, what people are saying. Um, So, you know, it's – but obviously it's, you know, the structure of it is meant to kind of, like, keep the reader's attention and tell the story in the course of a year, which it does a really good job of. Uh, I like the way it uses, like, the seasons in some cases – And to kind of like bring you along through the year and kind of gives the feeling of that, sets the stage well for some of the events that happen. But overall, I I really, really enjoyed this book a lot. What about you?
1: I loved it as well. I think the thing that I liked most about it was I I, I delighted in the ways that it differed from the film. I I won't talk about that very much because it's sort of putting the cart before the horse. But I, I enjoyed the character of Bridget Jones a lot more than I thought I would. I kind of thought I would I would laugh at her, but I found myself laughing with her and sympathizing with her a lot more than I anticipated. Uh, and it, like you said, the 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 author Helen Fielding made the book very easy and fun to read. Mm-hmm. It was um, you know compelling without being weighty, and it was also just the experience of it. She didn't belabor much, unlike we do with our media uh, <laughs> drink listener. She, she did not she did not dwell on any one scene even the big scenes were written in a way that made it believable that it is the recantation of a woman about her own life
0: very economical use of space i agree and and, yeah and even in those like really large important scenes but yeah that's a great point
1: i think by and large the plot was fun and interesting i do have some indictments we went back to the well a few times. We jumped the shark a few times. Those are criticisms <laughs> that will come to the surface uh, throughout this episode. Uh, when you say in, went the,
0: back to the well, are you talking about kind of the way she structures some of like the more comedic element? Like I was I I had written down here the time-stamped breakdowns. Is that yes. what you're talking Okay.
1: I have I have four such indictments.
0: Okay. Please
1: bear bear with me as I air my grievances. The the the, the like The, like, switchbacks, I guess I'll call them. They're kind of a trope, but they're more of just a literary device where she sets us up, like, at the end, Bridget Jones has made an emphatic statement, she'll never go back on this feeling. And Mm. then, like, literally double return, beginning of next one. I've changed my entire opinion. She does this with uh, great frequency. It's almost not even a device, it's a character trait. I was surprised that we had... Not one, but two in-depth cooking failure plot elements. Mm. So this is this is a probably a grand total of twenty to thirty pages devoted to the exact same. They're almost mirror images. Bridget Jones gets overconfident in her hostessing abilities, overdoes the menu, ruins everything, and then her friends bail her out with good-natured ribbing and you know fried eggs, etc. The first time it happened, I thought it was pretty charming. The second time it happened, I was pretty dumbfounded.
0: A little too obvious. Yeah. I, both of those times, I was like pulling my hair out at how late she started, like the <laughs> preparations. For... <laughs> I guess the one I... she starts the night before, but she's just like her concept of how time works is like a, an ongoing like part of this that just kind of made me cringe and not cringe in mm. like the, the Gen Z way, but just like, oh, God, it's like the frustration that comes with people who don't understand how time works.
1: Dude, totally. I think that was a very effective part of the book. That is effective.
0: But yeah, the way, I mean the to your point, like the it, it the rundown of the like the way she fucks up hosting is almost exactly the same in both instances. But well, yeah, we can I guess that's I mean, I don't know if there's anything more to be said about that. But yeah, I I hear you. I hear you there. <laughs>
1: uh yeah, and then like the she she will very often lose something in the mail or not hear someone say something. Mm. And then calamity and heartbreak ensues but you know i'm nitpicking a a book that i generally liked and i will say by and large i think the way that we were made to feel and this is kind of the question i'm going to launch at you next steve um the the way we were made to feel conflicted about relating to bridget jones being annoyed at her antics being dumbfounded how things continually work out for her but then she still like claims they're not working out though sometimes they genuinely do not work out i think it was just painted a much more complex picture of her than i was anticipating and i really liked that
0: yeah i mean i think for me the i guess it's you are reading a character's diary entry. i was going to say that it's i was kind of surprised first my big surprise is that i was expecting it to be a little bit more r-rated it wasn't, mm. it wasn't chased by any sense. And there was a few times where she drops like, you know, a word that kind of makes, you know, makes it be like, okay, this is definitely for adults. But I, overall, like she really, like there's not that much hooking up, you know, she, by, by and large, she's like only interested in two men throughout the entire thing. You know, she doesn't really have like a period where she's like sleeping around that much. But yeah, what I was saying is like the, the, The interior life of the character was... I shouldn't have been surprised at how how much it delves into that because it is diary entries. But yeah, you do... She is like a 360 degree person more so than I was expecting.
1: So my question about that then is, Steve, do you find her likable?
0: Oh, I find her extremely likable. I think this is someone who I definitely would have been friends with. And part of the... When I was reading this, like, you know, like I've been in... A committed relationship for going on a decade now so there were parts of like the singleness of this that really like gave me anxiety uh i was but also like i remember like i was kind of charmed by and had fond memories of um like just the dating rituals and like the courtship process in general like her asking her friends like if she should call after she gets the valentine from daniel or just like the the layers of humor and flirtation and like Confusion and stuff that happen when they're like messaging at work and just all just like the dating shit in general, like mostly gave me anxiety. But the thing I'd missed was like going out to bars constantly with your friends and like chatting about your, you know, what's going on in your lives. And most of the time you're just kind of waiting for the other person to stop so you can like unload with whatever you've got going on. (laughs) But, um, I, I don't know. I could, I definitely was like, Oh yeah. Like she's the type of person who I could have definitely seen myself doing that with as like, you know, and I guess I, I was single like in my, you know, early to mid twenties, but if I was single right now, it's definitely, she's definitely somebody who I would want to do that with.
1: Well said, um, you know, I, I oscillated actually a bit more than you did. I, my, my opinion ended up positive, but it wasn't as, um, wasn't as emphatically positive. I don't know if it's, um, it's probably hypocritical of me because some of the ways she lets us in personifying Bridget Jones here, um, to her feelings about like when her parents are divorcing, but she feels suddenly powerful about having the caregiver role in that relationship or when her friend Tom is missing, but she feels suddenly important because everyone is going to her for updates Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I'm torn because I think that is the sort of innocent thought that if it just flickered in my mind while I was in that situation, I would put it out of my head as sort of like a basal response and be like, yeah, it's okay to like unknowingly or unwittingly feel these feelings, but they're, they shouldn't be the focus. But the way that she puts them on the page, suddenly you're you're becoming the hypocrite and you're like, should I be judging her for this very narcissistic response to other people's plights? Is that I, part of her character? Is she a narcissist?
0: I found that stuff relatable. And and specifically, like there's that part where uh when her dad calls her and like kind of gives her the news that her mom is like wanted by the police and then so her she thinks she's hosting that night and her and darcy darcy like brings her to wherever her dad is like with the her other friends the parents friends and everyone's like making phone calls and talking about like how terrible this is and you know darcy's like pacing back and forth and kind of taking charge and she's like reflecting on how bad the situation is but also kind of like how it's kind of like even just like the break in the monotony of everyday life by this bad thing is kind of exciting. I forget the word the way she phrases it, but she it was kind of like a thrill even though she knew that like there's a shitty situation. And I I found that extremely relatable and the stuff that you're describing also like when her friend Tom goes missing and it just turns out that he has a nose job. One of, one of the many 90s things we'll talk about here, but <laughs> um so but the the feeling she had of like Almost like jealousy of like the one friend who who, she, but she she's like I'm closest with Tom, so I'm the one, I'm kind of the one leading the charge here. I'll, I you're you're right to uh, identify that as narcissism, but it's also I do also find that like relatable and and that and I find that endearing. I find the relatableness of it endearing, and not like that's I I should judge this person harshly.
1: I, th- I find that that to be a very fair uh, and persuasive take on on events so our, our first um our first double take is diffused it's a slight
0: nice. double take i mean i i also i mean you you're you're correct but i the, those are things that um i i would say the things that make me not like her are, are even more superficial like i was like i was saying before like the not being able to you know like function like the the part where she's she she strolls into work at ten thirty because like <laughs> she you know like, <laughs> This is, like, (laughs) losing everything and, like, staring out the window for, like, long stretches in the morning and, like... Perpetually, yeah, exactly. Like, that type of stuff was, like, I was, like, oh, God, if, you know, if I was, like, in charge of... If this person was, like, a subordinate of mine, I would be frustrated. But, yeah, like, that's... I I found, like, the... You know, like, I... Not to get too high-minded here, but, you know, all stories are about humans. Or at least, you know, if they're going to be about, you know superheroes or gods or whatever else it's like the human stories are kind of like the the reason why any of us are doing any of like watching this or you know trying to write it or do any of this and what when you're finding human moments that you that aren't like trite I you know I that's the stuff that I like and I I found like the stuff that we were talking about before the stuff that maybe could be considered narcissistic I never it never felt trite to me there's other stuff in this that feels trite but that stuff didn't, and that's the stuff that I was that I like kind of connected with. Um, albeit like they're not necessarily positive personality traits.
1: Damn, that is a that's a that's a good that's a darn good response, Steve. Um, while I'm basking in that, I'm gonna ask you a, a question kind of moving a, a jag to the left. What did you feel about the reoccurring structure of the prefaces to each? entry so at the beginning of each um entry as long as they weren't time stamped you got this little rundown in italics of how much alcohol she drank how many cigarettes she smoked and how much she ate and then various like cameos of different life events would also feature in in these little asides did you find that mechanism added to the delight of reading or do you have a different opinion
0: I did so. I read this thing twice because I we I started like a couple months ago and I got through it really really fast the first time because I like I said at the top like I was I kind of couldn't put it down. But partially because of the way it's structured, it's so like consumable. But the first go around, I was like pretty charmed by that stuff, and I I think it 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 does a couple things. It adds humor, but it also really makes it make, doesn't let you forget that it's supposed to be journal entries. So she, by starting every single one. And you know they're they're by the second time I read it I was breezing but through them you know cuz there's nothing like quote unquote important in any of that stuff. That to me feels like how someone would like start a journal entry and especially I wanted to ask you about this but the the thing starts at in you know on January 1st with new year's resolutions. You are the king of new years as everyone knows. <laughs> and uh you know oh, yeah. new year's resolutions are something that you take semi seriously. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth but for to my eyes, you take relatively seriously. Um, what did you think about her laundry list of resolutions? Was that a foolhardy endeavor, or was that kind of admirable in, in how ambitious she was being?
1: Oh, I, I, um, I have actually mixed mixed thoughts on it. Uh, I liked it. That that part is not mixed. I am um, I'm a sucker. You could call me for New Year's Eve and New Year's resolutions. I do try. Per- I would say not to give myself credit in succeeding in them. But I do try harder, probably, than your average American. I care about it a little more, um, or a lot more, you might say. But uh, I, I really liked it. It spoke to me. It was on my level, you know. And I I thought she did pretty admirably. It at least stayed on her mind all year. That mm-hmm. part was cool. I think her her resolutions themselves were very achievable. <laughs> I thought she set the bar for her alcohol consumption a little low, even. Uh, <laughs> It was like fourteen units a week, which is which is like twice what the CDC recommends for women. Uh, but you know, I, I'm not telling her how to live her life. I'm just admiring the fact that even though I don't think she result, she got the results that she wanted. She did get something out of the idea, which is that she was more focused and cognizant of her consumption throughout the year. That's more than I can say for a lot of people, and, and the fact that. Uh, she kept it up for twelve months. It's pretty awesome. As for a mechanism, uh, a literary mechanism, I thought it was uh, had a largely neutral effect. Started strong, near the end, it was it was kind of a lot of the same. Yeah, uh, but you know,
0: did you ever find yourself just skipping it outright?
1: Tried not to, just in case she snuck some important uh, plot elements in there. But I think during some of the the fast action, uh, the end of the Daniel saga, for instance. I, I probably did glance over them just because I wanted to get to the rest of the stuff faster.
0: Yeah, totally. That's kind of how I, I t- especially on the second go around. I, you know, you, you don't need to read all that stuff twice. I do like the part where she started adding and kind of subtracting, like when she. Starts like documenting how often she's using that like star sixty nine number. Uh, I can't <laughs> remember whatever it is like fourteen seventy one. Yeah, the lottery. That, that was, was that wild. was the other thing I was going to say. That kind of came out of left field because she, she doesn't start with lottery tickets, and I don't know if she finishes with either. But yeah, there's like a lottery ticket period, which is kind of weird. But
1: I have a, a another structural question. So this is not present in the films, not in any meaningful way, and it's because the nature of the book allows us more insight into Bridget Jones's thoughts instead of just her actions pretty natural but I think the Bridget Jones we get in this novel is actually despite often acting myopically about her own interests and own designs actually quite insightful about cur- not, not about current events like in the news but about human interaction, human behavior, the plight of the modern person. She gets into some straight-up stand-up style routines where she is dressing down, whether they be various holidays or, you know, the imbalance between the sexes and what have you. And I thought, you know, at its best, it was pretty illuminating. And even at its worst, it was, you know, an amusing diatribe. Did you enjoy these parts of of the novel or did you find them because i could see how someone might find them or feel like they were a little tacked on a little out of character for her.
0: I I liked it as as a reading, as, you know, as someone reading a book, whether or not they fit in like the the character that is kind of being drawn out. If they like kind of fall in line with that person. Hard to say. I mean, she does have some like pretty I I mean I don't know if i'd say brilliant, but like or clairvoyant, but yeah, there's there's some there's some quotes in here that i, I have on kind of like all the aspects of this story that um yeah are like pretty insightful I don't know I mean I, I I liked it and I mean I will get to some of these as we go through it but uh I I thought it was effective and I I thought it it did it did the work of like kind of because if, if you're if you don't have that stuff maybe it's a little bit too much of like the the timestamp breakdowns of her like fucking shit up or or just like the two like I don't know if, if maybe maybe the tropes would be a little bit more glaring and they're glaring as they are, but without some of the more insightful bits, it just be, it's like, it it doesn't endear the same way it, the way it we would feel it does now.
1: Yeah, I kind of felt like in those moments we were seeing the author sort of speak as herself a bit. It did clarify in, in sort of the cooking sense, as as fat clarifies at the top of a, you know, of, of the oil, but um, it did stratify, I guess is a better way of saying it, Bridget from the person writing her. But I, it, it wasn't so, it wasn't quite, you know, like Upton Sinclair soapboxing for 40 pages. It, it, it was believable to still be from Bridget Jones's voice. And I, I found them to be, if not the best fit, my favorite part of the book. Uh, I, I think one in particular examines Bridget Jones just neatly dissecting the obsession with Making the most out of warm weather days to the point of almost a mania, and a, f- <laughs> a fear of squandering them, and a fear of not doing enough. And though the most enjoyable way to spend them in, is in the cool, like relaxing, that there's such emotional trauma tied into missing out that it's it's just untenable and as someone who lives in a variant climate where you only get 3 or 4 warm months a year i just i just heard that voice like the voice of god speaking down Dude, from the mesa
0: that is so i'm so glad you brought that up cuz i have a bunch of quotes written down here but that i didn't put anything in there about the summer section and yeah that like, soliloquy she goes on on summer is so relatable for me. I think I read that, like, at the beginning of July and just that constant feeling that she should be taking advantage of it more than she is or, or you know, like her aforementioned obsession with mini breaks. Um, but there's <laughs> there's the line. There's a great line where she's describing that feeling when she kind of jokingly says, shouldn't we be at an outdoor performance of a midsummer night's dream? And that <laughs> that, that as like the pinnacle of like what, what one should be doing during summer, I feel like is really, uh, that paints like a really vivid picture for me.
1: Uh, e- extremely agreed. Um, so did you have any, soliloquies is how I'm going to refrain or refer to them as now because I think that's the most apt term. And it's also very... Um, it's a little more flattering, which I think they deserve. Than diatribe is how I was describing them in my notes. But did you have uh, did you have any that you were particularly fond of?
0: Sure, I mean we could just go through a few right now if you want. I so I would love that. There's a bit on breakups that I like a lot. Um, she says she writes sink into morbid, cynical reflection on how much romantic heartbreak is to do with ego and miffed pride rather than actual loss. Oof. Oof. I found that, I mean, I haven't had a ton of breakups in my life, but, um, that, that I, I found that was like real clairvoyant to me. Uh, yeah. The, that, yeah. it's you're not, I don't know. I, I've, I found it to be true that, yeah, you're actually more like bummed out about, yeah. Like the, what, what a breakup does to your ego or, and there's, there's a lot of stuff I can't, I don't think I had this written down, but there, there's bits in there about how like the idea of being rejected by somebody—it's not like the loss of the relationship, but the person like rejecting you is like hard to. It's harder to deal with than like the loss of the relationship. But that little bit right there, I thought was uh, particularly apt. There's a part on the dot where she's—I mean, the, so much of the book is about calorie counting and her eating and image issues and you oh, know yeah. what, how those are created and you know like the the self-image just kind of as a whole, but, um, just a bit on dieting. I looked at him nonplussed. I realized that I've spent so many years being on a diet that the idea that you might actually need calories to survive has been completely wiped out of my consciousness. (laughs) But (laughs) um, But you know, like that, that is, doesn't Speak to me so clearly. Uh, over the quarantine, I did a bit of dieting, but um, I, it's not like I, I've spent as much time as Bridget Jones has uh, you know like consumed with what I'm eating and like intake. But that was like a that was like holy shit. Like I could imagine how if you yeah, that was if you were so obsessed with that you just kind of lose lose sight of the fact that you need to eat to sustain yourself. But I mean, I've got a bunch more. I don't know. Was there any any that stuck out to you? I don't want to hog. I think
1: my 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 favorite was uh was the summer. And the, and the use thereof. But I have a few... I have a few shorter versions of this. Two that stick out in my mind when she's worried about... And these are kind of more like throwaway lines, but they, there's a lot packed into them. She often, like, worries about her, her self-image in comparison to other women. And I think when she's worrying, a, a clairvoyant worry, it turns out, about Daniel Cleaver having an affair with an American woman, she she describes her as some thin American cool person named Winona who puts out and carries a gun. And I, I, that was one of the few occasions where I laughed aloud. Uh, but she has these like just jam packed sentences that say so, so much more than even the many words contained therein. Um, I really like that. And then on a, on a more serious note, when she's sort of dealing with the, Weirdness of being sent to um, interview the unemployed young people, the mm. the dole youths, you could call <laughs> them, in the parlance of the book, and she she says, "I flapped around making oblique amends for being middle class," and <laughs> goddamn if I didn't feel spotlit by that remark. Um, you know, I think the the book doesn't it doesn't really confront any. Major problems with with any sort of uh, gravity, uh, which I, I think is a thing going for it, it weirdly invokes the Balkan crisis for laughs a lot of times, <laughs> but i, I won 't dwell on that either, uh, but I do think it occasionally kind of makes some just nebulous remarks about privilege and what it means and I think you know privilege is a word that since two thousand and twelve has become just fastened in the minds of many people. And I I don't know if that was the case in nineteen ninety-six, but Bridget Jones at least confronts some of that stuff on occasion.
0: I I guess I mean we'll get into our segment about how much of the British stuff resonates with us, but I got I got the sense from all these people. It's all pretty much like upper middle class to maybe even upper class in the case of Darcy. The time and and she's probably on like the in terms of like finance and her financial situation and income, she's probably on the lower end of you know, like the, the groups that she's running in. So her privilege, I don't feel like is on blast, uh, as much as it could have been otherwise, but yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the, the privilege kind of, at least the part you're describing, definitely it comes in pl- to play.
1: Steve, we've, uh, you know, I think we, I think that's a good introduction to the text. And at least for me, I've, I've got the things I wanted to say about it as a, as a whole piece more or less out of the way till, till some closing thoughts rear their probably ugly heads actually they're probably pretty delightful heads now that i come to think (laughs) of it uh but is there anything you want to say before we we are going to do segments you know we're going to we're going to keep the show as shelf stable as possible um but before we do uh is there any last thoughts you want to have on the on the book overall
0: no i think i got everything out that i wanted to uh bring up up front but yeah i'm excited to get into these segments and uh really chop this thing up a little bit more
1: well the first one we've got for you listeners is uh is an old friend. You'll remember this from season one. It's called Troping Mechanisms. <laughs> Troping Mechanisms is an investigation into the sort of um, you know, prototypical things that you might experience that stretch across media or become culturally relevant in and of themselves. And I think uh as a franchise, Bridget Jones diary. Is uh, lousy with them. And uh, that's, that's one of the lovable things about it, I will say. Steve, I have a, a veritable five course meals of, of tropes to talk about. Uh, how do we even begin to tackle this? I guess maybe with the, the tropes that Bridget Jones herself fulfills.
0: Yeah, why don't we? Let's hear your list. I'll pipe. I'm, I'm assuming. I mean, there are. You, you mentioned it. I mean, there, it's, it's lousy with tropes. I think there. I had like three main ones and then. Probably three or four side ones. Between all of those, I, I'm guessing a lot, at least a few of them will align with yours. So why don't you lead? I'll I'll provide some backup, and then any ones that you don't mention that I had written down, I'll fill in.
1: Perfect. Uh, I'm going to start with our. I would call the star of the show, uh, both literally and figuratively, lovable loser. Mm. Uh, our 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 Bridget Jones, our main character, our heroine is um is perpetually down on her luck. She is broke compared to her other friends. She is often making an arse of herself, to use uh, her country's <laughs> tongue. And, uh, you know, even, even when things go right for her, it is the goodwill of others and the merciful finger of the universe that sets things right because she cannot get out of her own way for the life of her. All that said, we are never once, not once insinuated that we ought not root for her. Uh, at least, not within the book. You can make your own decisions as a reader, uh, but it's very much framed as if we should always be on her side and be rooting for her, despite the fact that luck itself seems to be set against her. But she makes no luck for herself either, and um, I, I don't think that's at all strange or novel in the world of media. I think oftentimes we're we like to root for the loser because we are losers, uh, <laughs> in so much in that we have flaws and flaws that we're aware of or flaws that we're subconsciously aware of and I think uh she's just a very classical down the middle version of this character.
0: What you just said I I I hit, hits really hard home. Yeah, nobody sees themselves as like catching all the breaks. You know, like they everybody views themselves as having like an uphill battle because life mm-hmm. is hard. But uh, you so you call this lovable loser. I like that a lot. I had a very similar on the top of my list. I called it hot mess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, lovable loser, hot mess. Uh, I the way what I had kind of put down is she is in a constant state of disarray, but still maintains like an attractiveness. And I don't mean just like in like the physical sense, but like her personality is attractive as well as you kind of laid out you're never rooting against her um you know despite all of the foibles i mean we mentioned like the her the birthday entry and the the morning routine bit but anytime she tries to cook or entertain i would put the tarts and vickers fiasco in this category as well that bit where she's like (laughs) she you know she thinks it's like a a costume party essentially and she kind of comes dressed like scantily clad and it turns out that no one else is dressed that way you know that's that's kind of a, a lovable loser, hot mess thing to happen. But um, and then just like all the various follies with her job, you know, are, are kind of tied up in this as well. But that's the alternative title of this book, Bridget Jones, colon, various follies. But all the while, you're right. You know, we never stop rooting for her. We're always kind of laughing along with her. And yeah, yeah it's 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 she's easy to root for because, yeah, it's she that is that relatable thing about, yeah, you're not. everybody's got an uphill battle despite how actually easy or you know like problem-free their life may seem not to suggest she doesn't have problems like she has actual problems in this book but
1: yeah totally um the other one that i thought informed the narrative in the in the broadest possible way though this one's sort of subverted and i'll make my case here in a second is love triangle so you know love triangle I mean, try to find a modern romantic story from Hallmark to the annals of Greek literature that doesn't have a love triangle featured at some point, but I was the actually OC. quite surprised. The OC, yeah. The OC also. I was surprised by how little it actually featured. I think there was very little crossover between the two men in the story. It is a story about Bridget Jones' affection for two different men and how they wane and wax over time, much less so than in the film, not to dwell on that, but... There's not a lot of competition. There's not a lot of conflict in that realm. I was pleasantly surprised by it, and I thought it it actually acted a lot more naturally in how a real-life person might encounter a love triangle, where they have lingering feelings and budding feelings and mixed-up feelings, uh, but there's relatively low physical drama about the
0: triangle itself. So I actually did not have love triangle on my list, and here's here's one of my big takes on this book. So... I'm not arguing that there isn't a love triangle. I think that it's the the setup is such I mean there there are three points Darcy, Bridget, and Daniel. So like you can it's it's pretty easy to draw a triangle from those. But my take on it is that Daniel actually they're they're separate and apart, Daniel and Darcy, which they do know each other, so that kind of ruins my theory a little bit. But the Daniel section kind of is a representation of how The book views the single life and the Darcy representation is how the book views the relationship life Mm. And so I don't really put I didn't I didn't have love triangle down there because when we get into the first movie I definitely feel like that that is at play for the book. Not as much I feel like they're they're too too distinct to To kind of put in the love triangle. and there's no like You know if we're talking tropes There's no real love triangle tropes that come into this because they're never together at the same time the two, they're not. She's not really being fought over. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so that 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 um. You know, sort of broadside me, it upended my expectations a bit, and uh. You know, more of a subversion than than a trope itself. Um. From there on, I'm I'm just picking a la carte various stuff that came up to me, that um. I I just sort of plucked and picked. Um. But nothing nothing that informs the grand narrative. Though I I will say this is probably my least favorite part of the of the book and it it did hamper it in such a way that made me take it from like rave reviews to to just standard positive reviews the 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 oft played upon mirrored struggle between her married parents breaking up this is something you see a lot I don't have a clever name for it or I, I couldn't find a clever name for it but the fact that we have a young person she's dealing with her own relationship issues and then uh-oh her parents who have so long been taken for granted as a rock a version of a relationship she could look back on are now debased and now you know now she's totally lost in space because even her critical preconceived notions of what a good relationship is are gone
0: that doesn't feel as like as obvious as some of the other ones that maybe even some of the smaller ones that we'll get into but yeah totally that like she she doesn't really have like the it it, maybe you could say it's easy it's easy to see how she could like not be able to like have a successful relationship when she's got you know an example such as her parents who are kind of splitting up and and in a lot of cases with her mom her relationship with her mom she's like actually more of like the adult that has it together than her mom is at least the way she's acting at that moment so yeah the the lack of like a a solid example on which to build um i guess you could say would be like some some kind of trope
1: to me the trope comes
0: in where we're introduced
1: to the relationship follies of the protagonist and then you know sort of suddenly throwing them into the lurch making them grow up is you know a divorce in their a late in life divorce i just feel like i've seen that with a lot of frequency mm-hmm. in if not movies more often sitcoms but I think it's a pretty classic grind to tread on. It, it felt kind of well worn to me. I, I wasn't amused or really intrigued by any of that stuff, uh, which is unfortunate because it plays a pretty central role in the plot. But I did, I did just want to mention it before I move on to some some more some memeier ones. You some might say. lighter fare. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Hit me exactly. with some
0: lighter fare.
1: Here's a lighter fare. Is that well? Actually, it's a bad example, but uh, it, it's high time we talked about this scene. Middle of the book, Bridget Jones surprises daniel at home
0: Mm. okay
1: she walks in and she has a woman's intuition sorry if that's a loaded term don't cancel me i didn't mean anything by it Uh,
0: (laughs) she has an intuition let's just yeah (laughs) she
1: intuits that there is a there's something amiss and she suspects that daniel is having an affair on her and so she engages in japes and hijinks she checks cupboards she darts into rooms she coyly looks under couches and all, all the while it, it's complete uh, buffoonery and it's set up it sets us up to think that she's being wild and bizarre
0: right that she should that she, yeah she's being crazy
1: then of course perhaps not of course but according to the trope uh she engages in one final truly superfluous act of investigation and darts up to the roof of his Home, where she finds, of course, a nude woman. So this is there. There's a second part to the rug pulling that happens, but this like goonery where she, you know, we're set up to fail as the audience. We're set up to be like Bridget, you're being, you're being a nincompoop and a child. Uh, but in the end, you know, her bad behavior ends up being completely justified because, for whatever reason, probably you know, the omniscience of the author her suspicions were correct.
0: So did you I, as you were reading that did you have what was your prediction? Did you think that that she was going to it was turns out that she and I, I let's let's leave aside like whether or not like the the trope would suggest that she you know that she's being crazy. When you're just reading it did you think there is going to be a woman there or there is not?
1: No, actually it got me good. I think I thought it was going to be more of a a gradual breakdown of things between Bridget and Daniel. It t- so it-, it hoodwinked me. I okay. was pretty surprised by it, uh, but then after it happened, I felt sort of ashamed that I was surprised because I was like, I should have <laughs> been able to. This punch was pretty telegraphed, uh, but I'm I'm not the cleverest man. So maybe I,
0: they were playing know. on that. See, I- yeah, I guess I. I guess, the, if, yeah, the, the, the expectation is that the woman is being crazy there. And I'm not saying, yeah, they're just like, that's the way it's set up. Like the person in that situation is being crazy there. But it turns out that she is actually right. Her intuition was correct. I thought, I didn't, I mean, whether or not you want to say that's the subversion of the trope. I thought that the, whatever the case is, I found that to be like a pretty well staged scene. Uh, Oh, it was
1: real good fun, and it was pretty effective, mm -hmm. and it was well-written, too.
0: Okay, so what was some of the other lighter ones you had?
1: By the way, I'm engaged. Have you ever heard of this one? Ooh, okay. Calls her ex. She is having fond, reconciliatory memories of Honeybee, Peter, her ex-boyfriend.
0: Oh, I thought you were talking about when Daniel calls, and he's like, by the way, we're getting married. So maybe they pulled that twice. I, I didn't think that was—that was so out of
1: left field. That was—that's uh, that's another thing entirely. But I am referring instead to the much more throwaway version of it where, oh, my ex, maybe he'll want to get back together. Who knows? Oh, he's getting married to another woman, and I'm mad about it. A couple of fourth wall breaks. I got a quiz question for you, Steve. Okay. Mentions of both Bridget Jones' Diary the Movie series leading males present in this book you catch where they occur?
0: Yes, I did. So the first one is when she, oh, she's doing the interview for her new job at the TV station and they're talking about Elizabeth Hurley and, uh, Hugh Grant. And there's actually like a pretty crude, like the way she gets that job is that really crude ass, like way she responds to the question about swallowing the evidence. <laughs> but yeah, they, yeah. they flame the shit out of Hugh Grant. Um, but then, and then like she's talking about the pride and prejudice adaptation on TV and, uh, uh, Firth plays Darcy in that and then of course he ends up playing Mark Darcy in the movie so I was like I was like nerd boy like excited when I read that both of those in the book so I was I was totally into that you've aced the quiz
1: Steve excellent work uh absolutely cannot get anything past you I I, I think that qualifies as fourth wall breaking even though it was not the intention of the author of course well, it the was, films didn't come out
0: Right, yeah, it was like, it was kind of like sage, or it was like, you know, f- clairvoyant in a way. What
1: it really is, sort of a casting gag on the part. Yeah, of the it's, it's, maybe mo- it's,
0: that's, you're right, it's a stunt casting, actually. It has nothing to do with the. Uh... But yeah, it is kind of like that. That's like a backdoor fourth wall break because they're not she wasn't the, the the author wasn't doing anything by including those. She didn't know that, the, you know, presumably she didn't know that they were going to be making a movie out of it. And if they if they did, you know, those two actors would be involved. But OK, is is that the end of your list?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm out of anything smart to say. I just have words. I have <laughs> a few more words. We have. False positive pregnancy. Classic. Okay,
0: so I was gonna. Pregnancy scare was one of mine. Oh yeah. So pregnancy scare. We had not a lot to talk about there, but just very no. pretty trite, and uh, you know.
1: Last two pages. She read the pregnancy test wrong. Right. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Hardy oh, har. Uh, Hardy har har. We've got overbearing mother in spades very frequently.
0: Absolutely.
1: We've got Cosmo Kramer's pop over. By basically, you know, everyone in her life, (laughs) she has no locks on her doors. People are visiting constantly. Most nobly, her mother, which I think is incomprehensible to give your parents a spare key. Um, Oh yeah, I wouldn't do that unless I was, I had a, a severe, I was quadriplegic, I guess, and needed people to come care for me. But I won't cast dispersions on Bridget Jones if she gave her mother a key.
0: The mother, the giving your parents a key thing aside, I do kind of feel, you know, I wasn't an adult in the 90s, but I do kind of feel like that was probably more acceptable just popping over to see, like, if if I wanted to hang out with you and you weren't, you know, you didn't pick up your phone, there an, uh, you know, on an off chance if I was like swinging by your apartment, I might just run up and knock just to see what you were doing, you know, it wasn't like texting was, uh, or, or I don't think we were expected to have our phones on us at all times or, you know, have access to a telephone at all times back in the 90s, so. Fair point.
1: You know, that that's a good point. I think we'll talk about, the, you know, what, what do text messages mean for the Bridget Jones series a little later. But uh, that's it for me, though. That's all I had in terms of my my marquee tropes. What okay. about you, Steve? Any, any we didn't talk about?
0: I got two big ones and a couple quick flybys. I'll do the flybys first. So, gay best friend. Mm. Um that's, not that's played like, particularly deftly either. No. But there is a bit in there that I wanted to read that I, I kind of like that. I don't know. I'll just, Tom has a theory that homosexuals and single women in their 30s have natural bonding, both being accustomed to disappointing their parents and being treated as freaks by society. I hope that's not the case as much anymore. Um, I feel like we've gotten a little... like I, I can't speak on it with any firsthand knowledge, but my sense is we've gotten a little bit better since the mid-90s on both of those, but kind of a interesting portrait or kind of window into what things were like back then so you got gay best friend that's that's maybe this might have like actually started that trope in, in some ways um i can't i don't have enough you know background knowledge on the topic to see. interesting for sure, to do some
1: archaeology into that yeah how far so, back does it go
0: right um uh, female rom-com you know rom-com in quotes here we kind of talked about whether how we're going to deconstruct that term, but female rom-com protagonist that works for a book publishing slash media company. That's very, very well-worn territory. Oh yeah. But my big ones, I've got two. The first one I'm going to talk about is Men Are the Worst. So Mm. Daniel, obviously, for what he does to her, but she does hate all of her friends' significant others. There's like Vile Richard and like, I forget what name she has for Tom's boyfriend, but it's pretty much every man she comes in contact with, like lets her down in some way other than Darcy. Like that kid Gav, you know, like when she, you know, he he has the, you're all squishy line and just like all like <laughs> I the... I loved s- that line. That line was, <laughs> was excellent.
1: I think Gav would have a lot more luck with that line in 2020 than he did in 1997. It, he says it, he says it very intimately and affectionately, but I, I don't blame Bridget Jones for it getting the wrong idea about his use of the word squashy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I mean, in a larger sense there, you know, cause there's a stuff with her mom breaking up with her dad. Like she has a line where she's like, we were all taught instead of, or we were always taught instead of waiting to be swept off our feet to expect little and forgive much. Like that's kind of like, I feel like that's, that's more like the author, or the novels, like, you know, viewpoint towards men. And like, it goes on from there. I mean, there's like bits about how, Only men can, you know, commit or, you know, claim that they have commitment problems when actually that's kind of like a non-gendered thing. You know, everybody has commitment problems or why can't women have commitment problems as well? Um, and And then I also have this written down. The nation's young men have been proved by surveys to be completely unmarriageable. The result is a whole generation of single girls like me with their own incomes and homes who have lots of fun and don't need to wash anyone else's socks. The whole, like, construction of, like, the battle lines being drawn between single people and married people or people, you know, people who are part of couples, I feel like speaks to this as well. But I just thought that, you know, kind of throughout, like, the the men suck or men are the worst trope was hit home pretty, like, often.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably a good time uh, to, to briefly—and um, I don't want to dwell on it because I don't think we're qualified to, but, like, you know, this is a text— for, about, and by women. And I think it's, you know, part of the thing that makes it fun for me is investigating something that is outside my wheelhouse. But, you know, I think I found that it was played pretty heavy-handedly, but pretty tastefully as well. I think I found myself less being like, damn, Bridget Jones doesn't have a single sympathetic man in her life, and more like, yes, these are the many identifiable and sometimes relatable for better and for worse ways in which men behave badly and use the license they receive by society to behave badly uh but it can't be argued in either direction that it isn't omnipresent in the novel
0: right yeah no i'm not butthurt about it i hope i didn't come off that way (laughs) like i i don't yeah i don't feel like that she wasn't being fair to men but that that's just like the trope identified in my mind Oh yeah. So sure. so that in, in general. And then another huge one, I mean this goes on throughout a lot of it having to do with like the the constant weighing and the calorie counting, but the media creates self-image issues. Cosmopolitan gets brought up. She's like we've been cosmopolitan culture is traumatized, you know, by at supermodels and too many quizzes and all that stuff. I think now, not to say that media in general specifically now social media, but we have like a general understanding of Photoshop as a culture that we understand that, you know, what you see in a magazine and magazines are kind of like outdated to this point anyway. So it's less that and more of the shit that you see on social media, but all of it, you know, like image correction and all of that is that, you know, nobody's actually perfect um, is a refrain that you hear more than try to aspire to be like these people in the magazines are on social media. Not that people don't feel that anyway, just by looking at that stuff. But I feel like it's that's been brought into light a little bit more than it would have been back then, where none of you know that wasn't discussed. It was like cosmopolitan—the stuff that you see in those magazines—is how you should aspire to be.
1: Yeah, I, I think the image issues being almost transcending tropehood into the the book being about image issues. I think it's much more reasonable to argue that the book is about a woman's struggle with her self-image than it is about any sort of romantic endeavors uh it's just that romantic endeavors drive the plot and and the humor a lot uh but i i think by and large the lion's share of what you read on the page is bridget jones intersecting with her own self-image and her own conceptualization of that self-image
0: yeah and it is you're right it is it is bigger than a trope in the book i mean it really is i think what you said is true that like the Boiled down, that's what this is actually about, and you know the relationship stuff is obviously important, but it's really about, and it's I mean that's that comes from it you know the structure of the novel as well being a diary entries you know like a look inside this person as she's like looking into herself.
1: Steve, that's a lot of tropes, but there were a lot of tropes.
0: There's so many should... more that we didn't even bring up, or that at least if you go on TVTropes.com, it's like an endless. You've got a list. full <laughs> afternoon of reading ahead of you
1: if you go on that website. Um, I want to talk about another old standby, a classic. We're we're not treading very much new ground in terms of segments so far, but this one, you gotta have it. It's called D.O. Scene. And just because we're not watching something, you know, flick past us in the moving pictures doesn't mean there can't be a very formative and arresting scene in to be discussed steve did you have one that stood out to you i'd like to hear from you first
0: oh i definitely did i actually i had a couple uh, i wanted to do some honorable mentions i'm not gonna like break them all down but uh the mini break with daniel i thought that the there was fun irony there like how she like you know dreamed about that so so often and finally gets what she wants and then it just turns out to be like any other saturday where he's like drawing the shades and is watching the cricket uh um, <laughs> so that i like that um just another another way that like something blows up in her face, but and the breakup with Daniel we talked a little bit about already. Yeah, that that was probably like the part that I was I, th- I think as you mentioned at the top where you just like kind of couldn't put it down and I was I was really taken with the the staging of that scene. But my o scene is a three page section right around the end of the first act of the book. uh Bridget has just drawn a bath for herself. She hears a car alarm go off outside. Uh, she magda one of her friends has found out that her husband is cheating on her So she goes down to help her they're unable to turn off the car alarm, which I find very relatable I one time had that happen to me in my parents car and I actually got in the car and started driving and realized like if anyone saw me They would think that I was stealing the car. So she got <laughs> out and like See? Eventually figured it out, but um, Anyway, so she so uh, she ends up flooding the the apartment below her. She has sex with the Australian guy, and then at the very end, Daniel comes over, and they kind of make it official after that. But I just I like this scene for a few reasons. Uh, I really really like the hectic energy, the hooking up with someone random is kind of what it, what I was talking about before. I kind of expected more from this book, but it does a really great job of depicting like a moment of chaos where things can start to snowball, like. You know, she goes downstairs the like, Harlem won't turn off. All of a sudden she's flooding her neighbors, you know, her neighbor's flat above or below her. Can't get the door open, you know, just like shit, all the shit is going wrong. And this just so happens to be when Daniel finally decides that he's going to give in. And, um, and then it just leads to like a real debaucherous weekend between those two. And I felt like that, that was like also like a moment where like maybe didn't feel totally relatable to me, but it's was like, that's how that would happen in real life. It doesn't really happen. Like the, the thing you want to happen doesn't happen at the perfect moment. And it kind of happens when you least expect it. That's a trope in itself or like a cliche. But I found that to be relatable. But I liked all of that. I liked the energy. I liked how oddly relatable it was. I liked her being promiscuous. Um, and I thought it was like a great way to start their relationship with Daniel.
1: Great pick. Excellent pick. Um, you know, of all the... There, there are many big set pieces in the film. I've got one... That I call my no scene, which I think was disastrous, <laughs> um, happened at, right, right at the end of the of the book, actually, where we've got this strange. Julio comes back from Portugal after defrauding everyone in you know the outskirts of London, and he breaks into the house and holds Bridget Jones' mother hostage, kind of, sort of. The police arrest him. That was a circus, not in a fun way. No, that that was
0: a mo- yeah. That was kind of like the chaos. That's when chaos goes wrong, in my opinion. Exactly. Like that that was not <laughs> relatable at all. And
1: somehow equal ter- equal parts unrelatable and completely predictable. Just the worst. Mm-hmm. It was it was real bad. But your your version is like very unexpected sideways chaos, and, and and in a much more relatable way. I did have one that's a lot simpler though, and it's crude. So. Uh, spotify hit us with your r rating hit us with your mature <laughs> content warning do your worst Parents, spotify put your children to bed i don't want them to hear this demonetize etc all those jokes flirtation via im with daniel cleaver in the workplace okay this goes on for- i'm so
0: glad you picked this i was actually debating whether or not i should ask you what your oc was OC was going to be because i didn't want to have the same one for the book but i'm really really glad you picked this and i'm sorry i interrupted but please, oh, the floor please. Is yours. I,
1: if you're going to interrupt me to to levy praise upon me, please, anytime. I would say the whole lead-up where they're IMing each other is very funny and very relatable. Uh, They both keep the joke going on too long but won't admit it. (laughs) Uh, so true. They are wasting just mounds of time at the office, uh, which I would find personally very relatable. Uh, But then the, the O part comes when like Daniel Cleaver, one of the few... I guess I t- shouldn't tip my hand too much, but one of the few truly, like, audacious things that he does in the, in the book, they're, like, being very coy, talking about the skirt, sort of eschewing and sashaying around sexual harassment. And then he goes, he types this, P.S., I like your tits in that top. Mm. mm. Wow. Okay. That kind of
0: book. Really putting it out there. <laughs> Putting his shit on Front Street. That, that is like real dangerous. That's real forward. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. In the workplace. On a confidence. work computer.
1: <laughs> yes, only the confidence of a white man in the mid-90s could imbue <laughs> him with the ability to type that phrase. Of course, Bridget Jones is, again, to put it in her tongue, chuffed as hell about it. Uh, she couldn't be more pleased. She says something to the effect of, it's on properly now. Uh, and, uh, you know, the rest unfolds as you might expect, but, uh, I found it to be a very funny band aid ripping off because I think it almost struck me as if the author was aware of her own, like overly precious flirtation between the two of them. And then she sort of like drops the spoon in the soup and, uh, and just, and just outs with it. And uh, it, it was very effective. It was very funny
0: too. Maybe you can h- hold my hand through this, but I don't quite understand the thing with the skirt. Maybe I didn't read it closely enough. Maybe I'm just too too much of a dullard. But like, what? So how does the joke start with like the how, your your skirt being ill? Like I just didn't that that I couldn't clear that hurdle.
1: he well, you've you've missed the the very integral first joke, which is that he says something to the effect of the, your. Skirt must be ill because it has not come to work today. The implication being she's wearing a very revealing bottom.
0: Oh, I see. Okay, I'm I'm starting to pick up now. Okay, so like the but she's actually wearing clothes. That must. She's be literally a wearing
1: a skirt. It's it's merely a short skirt. I don't know. You know, I'm not a I'm not a middle school principal. I'm not gonna put her to the fingertip test and like wonder how short the skirt is. Mm. But ostensibly she is perhaps dressed more provocatively than her than her coworkers and Daniel Cleaver is
0: he's taken no marking on it yeah yes. okay the mere fact that he's noticing that i guess I sh- that should be that should be tip 1 that or probably that is tip 1 i shouldn't say that should be that is tip 1 that it might be on and then yeah when he he just hits the ball right off the tee with the uh, line about tits in that sweater <laughs> men really do suck after all
1: <laughs> we sure do we sure do Two O scenes but there were many scenes you know i i think the book's actual shining moments are the in-between scenes where we get bridget talking to herself about herself but mm. uh, a couple a couple at least of noteworthy big set pieces
0: absolutely well is it telling that we both pick daniel scenes
1: i think it's oh, more on that later mm. uh but I just want to
0: one one follow up on mine. I didn't I didn't mention this, but I have this in my notes. I just it was fun to remember a time when dating, when you met, when you first meet somebody and uh you just kind of like camped out at their place for a few days. I don't know if you ever did that, but that was like I think when Sarah and I first met that happened. But that was just like an enjoy. And there there's a lot of excitement with that as well. And I feel like the book hits that home really well. I mean, she's excited obviously because she's been pining over this guy for at this point, you know, like over 100 pages probably, but um that that like rung true to me really well and that, that just kind of like give me a little pep in my step.
1: It was it's it's fond nostalgia. I mean, that's the honeymoon, the the literal physical honeymoon in the honeymoon period of of dating, right? Absolutely. where you 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 finally like cross the threshold into romantic involvement and then, you know, too much of a good thing all at once, uh, mm-hmm. or maybe just enough of a good thing all at once. But uh, it, it was fun to, to watch our, our gal bridge go through that, that moony period and have such a good time doing so.
0: Unfortunately, it doesn't end very happily for them. But
1: No, it wouldn't be much of a book if they got married seven pages later. But Steve, one of the things I enjoyed most about the, the book was how much it took me out of uh, my current zeitgeist. Yeah, I speak of things about the book, the time period it was written, the audience it was intended for, and of course the country of its origin, that combined to make some good number of references that I had to look up. And I'm going to investigate those with your help in a brand new segment we're calling Can't Relate. So, Steve, um, Can't Relate is, you know, we're not going to talk about the heavy stuff. This is, this is more of an analog to Takedown Breakdown. Uh, what sort of stuff did you just, like, uh, hung you up, confused you, bamboozled you? What about the Anglicisms or the 90s-isms? or maybe you know as a man certain things you can't relate to as uh, the, the protagonist and author both being women how how do you want to how do you want to start why don't why don't we start with the anglicisms cuz i think there's the most and they are really amusing to me at least
0: okay <laughs> my first question on this did you slip into a british accent at any point while reading the book <laughs> i slipped into one while talking about the book earlier but was this... i
1: would say l- less so of a british accent more so in the like stilted annotative talking style of, of the diary entries. I, I did not have the broad church problem where I talk Britishly for the next three weeks after I binge a season.
0: Okay. Um. I mean, I think the British slang is like probably the most obvious I did. I like not to undermine our segment here, but I was kind of surprised that it wasn't more British. So we like the, the British slang up front. So the only ones that like really, really hit me, were fuckwittage and I couldn't tell if that was a if that was like a term that she came up with same with singleton these were things that was like it seemed like they could easily be that I did like I had never heard of them because they were British terms or that like the the author had created them so fuckwittage was probably the one on like the biggest one for me the mini breaks thing talked about that that just like the (laughs) the prevalence of that but it's pretty pretty clear what that is you know like a weekend away but I don't know what any, I think those are, that. that's the most obvious place to start. Am I missing anything just in like the terminology or the British slang?
1: I've got quiz questions for you, Steve. Okay. If you'll bear with me.
0: Do you know what a ruby wedding is? That one I had to look up. So yeah, that I do know. It's like the 40, 40th anniversary. And that, that actually kind of, cause like, you know, have you heard like this thing where it's like the first year is like paper and then it's wood, like there's like a, a material like... Yeah, I don't with,
1: know what sort of industrial resources lobby came up with
0: this bullshit.
1: <laughs> but I, I have, you know, at the thirtieth, you get fine china or whatever. I, I have heard, I have heard this meme.
0: Sure. Okay. So the ruby wedding—that's a good one. That's a great point. And that that one I actually did look up, so I would have not known that otherwise. But that's another. I also, I didn't feel many breaks. They like they like hold your head underwater with, but the the <laughs> ruby wedding—they just kind of it hit just you, sort of lightly hit up, you yeah. over the head with. Totally.
1: Do you know what Bonfire Night is? That one I did
0: not look up.
1: It's apparently uh, apparently Guy Fawkes Day. Oh, okay. Where he the guy was going to blow up Parliament. Very sure. interesting. V for she's Vendetta. She's bummed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, she's not invited to a bonfire. She's very bummed about that. What else?
0: I thought Silk Cut was chocolate for the first seventy pages. Oh, that before. one I got right away. That's the cigarettes that she smokes, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah.
1: It's milk tree, of course. That is the giant box of chocolates. Sure. They they might as well have paid for ad space in this novel.
0: Have you ever had trouble programming your video plus? Hmm. <laughs> so the the see, you're you're you're. I'm glad you like paid note to all these because I just I I understood. Obviously, it's pretty clear what that is. So I just kind of in my mind, I was just like, okay, well, like it's just like you know a different word for their thing. I was thinking more of like like fuck it sounds like something a British person would say. And that yeah. that's what I was... I was kind of hoping actually to like adopt like a slang after reading this that... If you, I'm going
1: to adopt anything, it's the it's the far greater well of onomatopoeias that the British apparently have in writing. Mm. I don't know if this has gone away, but I'm going to hit you some of my favorite monosyllabic quotes from Bridget Jones.
0: These stuck out. Chuh. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: Chuh is everywhere. Durr
0: dur i dur, dur was the one that I noted
1: I have duff written down I don't know did I misspell dir again can't be sure I really loved that stuff uh where she like says noises as words, and I think you know that's what that became that that became very linguistic to me uh and i always i was delighted when i when I saw her go quote someone else being like Durr, bridge when are you gonna how, what are we gonna do with you I was just lol and never got old
0: what it, yeah the like reading the the intonation that goes with those two is like you never really know you can kind of assume but yeah is he is that is dur like a is that like are they, is that like a scolding tone or is that like a yes, I, I guess i
1: i interpreted it as sort of like a a fakely light-hearted tutting like dur bridge what are we how are we gonna <laughs> you know you act cute about it but you're actually being quite a dick
0: the, okay so here's one I wanted to talk about like the hierarchy of British universities um, Daniel at one point takes a slight jab at her for going to banger she and gets...
1: She gets straight up roasted for going to Banger.
0: The kid here took his time to look up where Banger oh. would, uh, would rank among the universities in England. And, of course, like Oxford and Cambridge, those are at the top. I can't remember. where. Did Daniel and Darcy, they go to the same school. Do you remember if it's Oxford or Cambridge?
1: It is Cambridge. It is okay.
0: Cambridge. So, of course, like that is either number one or number two alongside Oxford. Banger ranked somewhere around mid-list. If there was 100 names on there, Banger was in the 50s. So, not great. Maybe your state school um, spoken like a guy who couldn't get into the U of M the first go around. So I'm, I'm maybe hey, even I'm on the we've bridge. We've left
1: that sort of classist thinking behind, Steve. I'm on the
0: bridge tier as in terms of <laughs> like what schools you know would have allowed me in. But in case you were wondering, Banger University is uh, yeah, it's it's somewhere in the C tier.
1: Never accuse us of not being an educational podcast. Apple Analytics, Steve. Just a couple. Very quick ones. 1471. Mm. This is uh, this is apparently Star 69, though Bridget Jones even alludes to the fact that American technology is ahead of England because we already have full-on collar ID in 1996 or 7 uh, whenever this was published. But she is still calling this <laughs> 1471 number 20 to 40 times a day. So this is like
0: Try. the the rare one that could fit into two categories. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, this could go right alongside 90s issues. But yeah, totally like the Did you ever dial star
1: 69 as a as a youngin, Steve? So,
0: I'm glad you asked because like the when I read this part of the book, I was like, "Oh, of course, like we had that cuz she mentions that oh, in the states they have caller ID. There was a time before caller ID when we had star 69, which was like our version of their 1471 or whatever it was. You know, I was too young to be dating in the '90s, but I do remember using this or like having a fear of Star sixty nine when it came to making prank phone calls. (laughs) Yeah, the victim of you rascal. But yeah, like the big fear was that the victim of the prank would like Star sixty nine us and you know call back and berate or do whatever, (laughs) call the police or tell your parents, But uh, but yeah, that I mean, like the date, the way that that that's used in a dating sense here, like I didn't quite understand why she was doing it upwards of like, you know, 20 to 30 times a day. Like how 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 the math worked there, like where where could how could if someone called her and her not picked up, but yet she still has time to dial that number that many times that she's that I,
1: I assumed she was coming and going and being out. And sure so
0: i that that's that's what that's the only way it would work but it's like do you leave the house 25 times in a day like are you just or are you just dialing it over and over again that that i got the sense that that was the case that she was dialing it compulsively yeah
1: i, I mean she exhibits a great deal of compulsive behavior but uh you know i i i couldn't tell you that mystery has died with with 1997 um that's really all i have is as anglicisms do you have any that i missed steve
0: I think just like the, the, the substitutes for, yeah, like the silk cut being the cigarette or like the, the chocolate having like a different name than Hershey's or whatever. Like those are very, you're very correct in pointing those out. But overall this, I thought, I thought that the story itself could have really taken place anywhere that has a telephone, that has telephone access and plenty of bars. I mean, that's, that's, I guess it's what makes it like a, you know, an international success is that it is pretty universal in those ways.
1: Totally. I totally agree. I think the only the only like cultural touchstone that I was really, you know, broadsided by was how like souped up everyone got about the Edinburgh Film Festival and like everyone had to go. It was that was pretty weird to me.
0: So I that looked was the only that thing up.
1: That really like took me out of it a little bit. But.
0: Edinburgh, I think, because the the festival they're we talking about is just like an arts festival. So when they were talking about it's not film specifically, because there oh okay there's like a lot of shit that goes on there evidently with like yeah different panels and plays and poetry readings and all this different stuff. So but yeah like I that that was definitely a very English thing, but. And I think for me, it was also kind of like the the way her relationship with her parents' friends, I was like, is that just their family or is that like an English thing where I'd have to, she treats them all like they're kind of like family members. Like that's that's not something I'm familiar with as much.
1: Yeah, that strikes me as a family by family thing. I, it wasn't the case with my family either, but I do know, I know plenty of families who are basically like inextricable kind of.
0: Right on. But yeah, let's move on. Do Which one do you want to tackle next?
1: Let's go 90s. Let's okay. talk about the 90s.
0: Hell yeah. Little more familiar with the 90s as we discussed with Star 69, but
1: yeah, yeah, but it it was like a rude it was a splash of cold water about how long ago this was. I'll kick us off with a super light one. Apparently contraceptive jelly was still around. Oh, I geez. know that it is technically still around today, but like how that was like it, it's kind of like been shunned as a as like a, a primary form
0: of birth control. But it does get
1: it does get a special mention
0: uh, in in Bridget Jones' Diary. That one slipped by me. So no pun intended. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, Do I don't you- believe you. I, I'll I'll start with my big picture one. I've got my yeah. I'll save my favorite, but my big picture one is just all the landline anxiety.
1: It's almost the central conceit of the of the book.
0: I think I think like the, the landline anxiety and like the self self-image is number one. You can you can boil a lot of these things down to the self-image stuff, but the her obsession like the the way the phone operates i'm not going to say it operates like a character i'm not going to go that far you know how sometimes like people who discuss culture talk about something the as a summer character. is a character in and of itself it's not a character uh but it is like a very central concern that felt like a very very 90s thing um and they i mean i i don't even i mean i don't know we I guess we can talk about it. do you feel like it's like Because it's not like it's used effectively because that's just how the world was back then. You know what I mean? They don't use it in like a clever way just because like it wasn't it wasn't meant to be thought of as like a a clever way of doing it. It's just like that. That was like the facts of life.
1: Yeah, I think I think it felt like almost hauntingly natural. Like I I was like continually I was continually saying to myself like this is another scene about the telephone. Like we're doing this again. We're we're going back to it. But then it slowly almost horrifyingly dawned on me that like this is just how they lived. This is how people were alive in the nineties. And you know, you couldn't you couldn't find a mention of a computer beyond, you know, the IMing right at the beginning. If you told me a factoid that you made up that was there are only ten total pages that don't mention either explicitly or obliquely a telephone in the novel, I would believe you. I don't think that's true, but I would be willing to believe it.
0: The I, I thought she does this more than once too. She mentions Goldie Hawn and Susan Sarandon as role models.
1: I'm at least able to remember who those women are, but we're we're <laughs> the last of that generation, Steve. True, younger people who read this book are going to be they're going to be oblivious.
0: Clueless gets brought up at one point. Which I I liked a lot. Uh, I can't remember Yeah, that's more like it. Yeah, that's that's current Um, not to say that susan strand wasn't at the time, but uh bull durham is a good movie, but clueless I can't remember. Do you remember why they bring that up? It's something about how men have like a their internal clock of like when They should respond after sex or something is different. It's it has something to do with that, but I like that uh, drop it only gets better from here, though. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Are you familiar with this text?
1: <laughs> only in reference. Only only as it is referenced in other media.
0: Okay. So I did a little bit. I never read this book. It was like, it's, it's huge in the 90s. I That was from my memory. At us. I verified that on Wikipedia as well. It's looked at now as like a pseudoscience or like it kind of is, is reductive in its way that it kind of stereotypes like human psychology. And like, it's, you know, it's not, it's, I think it, by at this point it's kind of like looked at as like a joke but uh it was extremely popular in the 90s and like a way to like kind of understand how the sexes is related to each other. It gets brought up. Definitely more than one. Or I shouldn't say definitely. I I it's maybe it just stuck out to me cuz I was just like holy shit I remember that but uh I don't know. That that was one thing that stuck out big time for me.
1: Yeah, I I saw it and I was like I almost see this book as it feels sort of in the same cultural wave as that book i think done a lot more timelessly done a lot more deftly having not read um have having only known the current reference to men are from mars women are From venus which is like you said uh not terribly positive i have felt like this book was or almost like a better version of those of that book same claims if i'm to understand what it's about like it much more artfully shows the differences and similarities between men and women in this little snapshot in time viewed through this one character's eyes than that any high-minded text might hope to
0: yeah i don't even i mean the the little bit that i read about it it was just like it was actually like kind of looked at as like more like a psychology book where like the person and i read a little bit about it it's like the author talks about how you know the difference is the way men and women relate to stress and how men like resort back to their caves he, he, i think i don't know if that's where the term man cave came from but like <laughs> in during and there's no, it's not told as like a narrative you know it's like this is how men react and this sure, is how women right. react so um but yeah so that just just the title itself honestly was uh a blast from the past but moving along feng shui did that did this stick out to you
1: oh god the the whole fad style self-help indulgence of the book was 90s-ish but I don't think it comes any closer to uh, a fever pitch than her and Jude's obsession with feng shui. And I will say, gotta love Shazzer for always being the <laughs> specter of doubt. Uh, when Jude's always like, "Don't tell Shaz about <laughs> this whatever cool it thing, is." I'm yeah, you.
0: she doesn't want to get fucking made fun of. <laughs> I'm glad you gotta love up on, Shaz. I'm glad you picked up on that because honestly, like, I didn't, I didn't take the time to like keep the names straight. So all of her female friends, I, I never, I couldn't like, I per, like any put any personality traits to any of them. That's on me. But uh, if if Shazer is the one that's like the the truth teller, I'm glad. I'm I'm happy to live in that world.
1: You live in it, Steve. That's <laughs> that's our reality. I guess I know that. Yeah, Magda that was great.
0: Magda's uh husband cheated on her, but yeah, the, the feng shui bit. Well, how do you feel like it worked? I mean, they don't they don't spend a ton of time on it, but where she actually, actually like tries to appropriate that in her own apartment.
1: Well, you can leave the the broader conversations about like has the West cannibalized the idea of feng shui? But mm. I would say in terms of how lighthearted it was invoked, I thought it was pretty pretty well done because I had the feeling that the author was having a laugh at Bridget Jones and Jude yeah. for I mean, they were made to be asses they They trivialized the concept, they commercialized it, they used it absolutely baldly for their own designs, and it was played for laughs. So I think it was used you know pretty sparingly. It was a dose of salt, and um I, I thought it was good. I mean, we had a, it, it was funny, that's what it was set out to do, and I think it succeeded.
0: that yeah, Feng Shui never made it into the uh, 21st century, at least in p- our popular culture.
1: I would say, like, um, it's um, it, it kind of, it, I think minimalism. and Yeah, the, open maybe concept. the con- the
0: concepts did the the yes. term is yeah that that I, the term itself I associate with the 90s in our in our popular culture. That's a good point.
1: A shallow understanding that, he- that
0: was the 90s. <laughs> Here's something oh. that did make it into the 21st century, but I associate with a lot with the 90s is nose jobs.
1: Yeah, you don't see that much anymore. I mean, we're much we're we're. You'd be shocked.
0: Listener Vince, everybody who's, who's hearing my voice right now, do yourself a favor and just Google the words famous nose jobs. And you, you would really be surprised at some of the images you see. And I I don't, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a boomer on Facebook here where I believe everything that I read on the internet, but just, just do yourself a favor. And it's, it's some interesting looking. The, the one that I associate the most, I mean, it, it's very cursed to say uh, he has been canceled and deceased for a while now. But Michael Jackson, I think that's like probably the nose job that sticks out the most in my mind. And that most famous
1: Joe's job of all time, for sure.
0: In say. the I don't know if it originated in the 90s, but it, it was popularized in the 90s. So, um, yeah, nose jobs in general, I feel like are a very 90s thing. Clearly still happening today, but um, I don't know if you have any notes on that.
1: I remember watching Seinfeld and there's like three different episodes that feature nose jobs. (laughs) That's a great,
0: great point.
1: And I'm like, even as a kid, I was like, is this a problem I'm going to have to confront as an adult? Will I ever be posed if I need a nose job or I'm dating a woman who wants a nose job? Is this young Vince had had a belief that nose jobs were overrepresented in his future?
0: I mean, your your nose is well shaped. If anyone was going to think about a nose job, it's your boy here. But oh,
1: Steve, you have a I'm Roman not, I'm,
0: profile. I'm prone to a self-effacing humor, but that is the characteristic that is most prominent on my face. But so, yeah, the nose job is, is a 90s relic that still lives on, but I associate it with the 90s. The big one, the one that I love the most, um, the mention, and this happens, it's a little bit covert. Maybe you didn't catch it, maybe you did. It's mentioned by her, the boss at the, once uh, she gets the television job. And it's, she's she's being requested to find someone who's like somehow severed his penis, and he mentions <laughs> the word Bobbitt. Do you know who John and Lorena Bobbitt are, Vince? I
1: sure do. Yeah, I, I remember. I now they have they have lives and intrigue beyond my my understanding of the criminal proceedings. But she was a long beleaguered and abused woman, uh, victim of all sorts of forms of assault and ongoing psychological and physical abuse but then she she there's an element that i'm forgetting about her her notoriety outside of her marriage but she one she one night you know has enough and lops his penis off goes out a drive throws it out the window feels remorseful tells the police they help track it down reattach the penis is that more or less how the story goes? That
0: I'm that is like more than I knew about the story. Did you do some Wikipediaing there yourself or did you, did no, you have no, that not, all on recall? Recently. Holy shit. Okay, I was, so I, not only do you know <laughs> did you notice it in the book, but you have the entire rundown. So well done by you always being ready. But uh <laughs> Yeah, that so that I mean, the way you you the way you kind of outlined it, it is like It's it's an incredibly dark story. My what my memory of from the '90s is is it just getting memed to shit all over late night TV and anywhere else. Honestly, I don't remember when exactly this happened in the '90s. I'm just gonna guess that it was mid to you know like '95, '96 in that range. I might be off by a couple years. Whatever the case is, I was like right around the age where I was like starting to hear like my my uncles or like people in my family like joke about it and like being kind of scandalized and like not and i and i didn't know like that i later in life found out about all the horrific things that she, that lorena was um subject to and like kind of what would motivate her but just like the story in general was so sensationalized uh in like the media in the 90s um that just i was that was like a real like oh my god i f- totally forgot about that cuz that has i haven't heard the word bob in two decades (laughs) yeah that was i I, you know
1: nowadays you know newsworthy scandals are are much seem so much heavier than when you know tv hosts were memeing an abuser for having his his dick severed um sort of vaguely related were there any um were there any barriers you you encountered as a man to understanding uh the narrative since it you know is written by and for and about women
0: well, the pregnancy scare thing we kind of touched on in the um the troping section, obviously that's not never anything I've had to deal with emotionally or otherwise, but um you know, like this one I feel like we're going to have to be a little bit more delicate about. I think the image issues at large are something our society like obviously doesn't, you know, heap on men. So that some of this stuff I I was it's not like I can't relate. I mean, everybody has like self-image their own self-image issues and like the obsession with weight and calories and stuff is not anything that I like concerned myself with for most of my life. I, I didn't really ever feel it concerning or depressing while reading it. I think it could be viewed that way. And I think there was a real like stark irony of when she hits her weight goal or her goal weight, and then finding out that everyone thinks she looks too thin and like the, just the judgment never goes away. I feel like that, Mm. you know, that, that might be the thing. And then, I don't know do you do you have anything to say about that I got one more other big one but
1: no I mean I you've you've said you've done a good bit of discussing on it and I think yeah I that's it's apt to bring up because you know it was more of a cuz I I've, I've been educated you know as as someone who grew up through the mid to late 2000s that like educated about that and the harmful effect it has on women uh so it didn't really come as too much of a surprise but you know very stark and very centrally on display for sure.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think on a lighter note, well, I'll do one more heavy one before we get to the lighter one. Um, just the, the whole fear of dying alone thing. There's a lot, a lot of this book is like her vacillating between being proud of being single and like, you know, finding real fulfillment in life in being single and like her desperately wanting a relationship. And I think that, there is a bit in the book there is like a quote that where she talks about the fear of dying alone and honestly I think it's comes at one of the ellis parts i can 't even I can never say that but um <laughs> Elsatian. Yes. uh there there's that thing that i can 't remember exactly how it 's phrased, but basically I think it 's one of her friends it might be even shazer who who talks about how like the balance shifts at a, a certain point for women once they reach their thirties and like even like the even the most fierce of them kind of like start to have that feeling that, you know, that fear of dying alone. Whereas like that's, you know, it, it feels like it's not the same for men and that men in that point in their lives kind of shifts and they become more attractive as they get older, uh, which is, that's, that's a huge trope. I mean, that's like a very cliched thing to say, but her, her kind of reaching and, and I, it goes back to like the, the, the broader thing I was talking about is just like, how, how she views her self-worth in terms of being single or versus wanting a relationship. And as some, one of the things that, that's the crux of that is the fear of dying alone. And I I mean, as a married man in my mid-30s now, it was definitely something I couldn't relate with. But even if I was a single guy, I think at this point, at this stage of life, it would be um, more unrelatable for a man. But that's just one dude's point of view.
1: Well, I guess it's two dudes' point of view, at least. I think it's uh, very very apt to draw I'll, I'll I'll break up this um I w- I wouldn't want us to slip into too much meaningful conversation. No, that was what?
0: the only two I had. I had I had one. <laughs> Go you hit hit me with yours though.
1: I only got one. I only have one remaining though I did have notes on both those. Um communal changing rooms in a department store was this what sort of horror show is this? An I can't tell if this is an Englishism or if it's ninetiesism or if it's a if it's a thing that women still to this day have to deal with. But that it almost seems like human rights violation that to make strangers change in front of each other.
0: That that was yeah definitely could not relate to that. Although do you, I mean I guess we didn't. There's it's not really like uh, explored. But is there also like male communal changing rooms at that department store? I oh who
1: knows. I perhaps I mean the only time I mean when do you get that experience you get it in high school gym and then I guess in gyms always just gyms. that's that's gyms it and yeah
0: and even that there's like countless there's an, a, a, the deepest well possible of like jokes and observations that come from that so we don't need to get into that stuff now but yeah that's not something that I would that we were accustomed to um what my last one on the lighter side uh just her relationship with her mom Uh, could that could not relate any less to where the mom character even the mom character in general probably the most unrelatable part of the book for me
1: definitely the weakest part too (laughs) she was like such a clown i don't and i don't mean that in like the weird mid-2000s tough guy insult to be thrown around i mean like very pagliacci and she was always capering and overly made up and saying goofy words like uh silly billy and super duper and she w- she was just very
0: clownish just like the her arc in general like she she divorces her dad for like pretty legit reasons as she like outlines yeah. Oh, yeah. but
1: good divorce
0: gets a tv presenter job in like a matter of you know less than a, i mean the the whole book takes place over a course of a year so it's a couple months she's like on tv all of a sudden shark shark jumps <laughs> left and right <laughs>
1: It's just her, She's just one big backflip over a great white, because then she, like, of course, very stereotypical to the point of being problematic, finds a swarthy Portuguese lover mm. who then is called racial slurs by her father a few times. That's another and thing then, I couldn't
0: relate to, the amount of <laughs> times the word WAP gets thrown around in this book. Yeah,
1: do not cancel us, <laughs> whoever. We don't endorse it, uh, but it is said generously... Uh, then he turns out to be a money launderer and a defrauder. And so that's bad. And she goes to jail sort of, which then Mark Darcy gets her off. Uh, it sucks. Though, it's, it's awful. I think it's patently bad.
0: Worst part of the or I'll just say weakest part of the, the novel. Yeah. The mom character kind of like the, I would say mom's arc in general. And then mm-hmm. her relationship, you know, cause like there's, there's a, the more like even, even approach to that character you know without like the the crazy job and like the whatever no matter his race like the boyfriend that like gets her involved in like a money laundering or like some kind of con scheme just like the rela- I, I even if you boil it down like the the pure essence of their relationship where the mom is kind of like seems like the more irresponsible one and i mean you know mom mom's being overbearing that's that's nothing new that's somewhat relatable love you mom but um <laughs> <laughs> But the the just yeah I, I I don't know where i'm I don't know what I'm circling right now, but the I, mom mom in general, mom character, mom's arc that I didn't find that relatable at all, and the weakest part, so
1: likewise, likewise,
0: all right, Steve, um,
1: our fans of the podcast might be expecting us to do a tier list where we heap praise on Shazer and debate whether she or <laughs> Jude should be number four or three. Uh, but we're not doing that. We're not going to do, do a tier list. What we're going to do instead is one of the most exciting titles, not only in our show, but in all shows, we're calling it Two Guys, a Girl, and a Turkey Curry Buffet. Steve, for the sake of the listener, I won't repeat that title, but uh, what are we talking about in this segment? What's the idea?
0: OK, so the way that we've decided to kind of wrap these these podcast episodes up uh, as we've talked about Bridget Jones and, and going forward as well um, with the three movies is we kind of want to take a closer look at the relationships between Mark Darcy, Bridget Jones and Daniel Cleaver. I don't know. I just kind of like our big picture thoughts on all of it as we get into the movies. Definitely a lot about, you know, performance stuff. But here we are in the novel. There's no Hugh Grant, Colin Firth, and Renee Zellweger to talk about. Uh, we're just going to talk about the characters at large. So um, I don't know. How, I, how do you want to wrap our arms around this? Should we Should we mention up front that it's just, it's we haven't really said the words pride and prejudice yet. Uh, it's I guess this book is loosely based on pride and prejudice. It's not a novel I've read. Um, but the the most distilled version of it is like the guy she's in love with is charming but turns out to be a jerk. The guy she actually ends up with seems like a jerk, but turns out to be a good guy. Do you have any other Pride and Prejudice thoughts you want to add to that?
1: No, only that that was a very succinct and apt description. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think it it pretty clearly was the. Um, I mean, with the nod to Darcy, the Darcy character transcending both texts, I think it was pretty clearly done as a, you know, as many novels are a modern hamlet or a modern othello this this being mm. a modern pride and prejudice in some ways um it, it, it's uh yeah it's part of why the text exists so it's worth mentioning and you know here here are our two men and i think the way that we are going to do it is we're we're both going to kind of we're, we're going to talk about a brawley but we're going to both um kind of pick a side and and stand one of these dudes so steve I'll let you have the floor. I'll cede to you because your your dude that you are standing appears, uh, perhaps doesn't appear first, but definitely has his prominent region of the story first.
0: Sure. Um, okay. So I'm I'm standing for Daniel Cleaver in this section. Now, some might argue that this is a a, an, a more uphill climb than Darcy, but let me assure you that there are some maybe not admirable qualities to him but there is there is like a charisma and charm that he exhibits that Darcy is lacking extremely now i laid out at at the at an earlier part of this podcast that i really see that these two characters are a representation of how the the novel the book the author whoever however you want to phrase that um views the, the two ways that, you know, you can have romantic relationships in this world is being single, not committed to anyone versus being in a committed to relationship to one person. Now, the Daniel section of the book um, is extremely exciting. I mean, it starts with that, that great flirtation, as Vince pointed out, uh, in his O scene where, the, you know, the, she, it's, it's clear that she has a crush on him at first. We don't really know anything about this character at that point. He expresses interest in her through this, like, text message flirtation. She is like extremely excited by this, you know, and then spends a lot of time thinking about how to react, how to respond. And honestly, like this is one of the things about single life that is like also gives one extreme anxiety, but is also gives one extreme elation because when that, that feeling that you get when the person actually does respond positively to what you want to happen or does like make that come on to you or does respond positively to your come on, those are the things in life that are like, like worthwhile. And like sometimes lead to terrible outcomes, but sometimes lead to great things. So whatever the case is, that moment is great, and he exemplifies that moment uh, in my mind. Those are my opening statements. But you know, it, it's it's quickly downhill for Daniel after that. But that's if if you're looking at like if you're trying to go big picture positive on Daniel, that's how I feel about him.
1: He's funny. He's charming. You know, he's he is uh, charismatic and likable, as you've said. He has some hilarious one-liners
0: so you you're starting you're even now you're even starting to like venture into the things that I don't like as much about him. he's liked by everybody see that's the thing I don't want to like get too much into like the which car- you know because okay, so yeah Daniel it's like he he's 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 had sex with every single person that he comes across with it seems at some point <laughs> like whether yeah. or not you view that as like a yeah, I' mean, knowing you vince that's not that's probably a trait that you like the least about this character but the, I don't know, like the, those, those the actual, the way the characters drawn, it's hard, I mean, it's, it's less important to me than like the, the feeling that the character engenders, at least in certain parts of the book. He, he also engenders like terrible feelings at certain parts, but the highs are high with him, the lows are very low. And that's kind of how I think that the, the uh, Helen Fielding like used single life and ultimately less fulfilling than being in a committed relationship, but the highs can be pretty high
1: hmm now that's interesting i'm not so willing to say that that is the central conceit of the book because i think bridget even even very near the end though she does get a very abrupt happy ending i think she pines after those days with daniel even even late into the game and i think we're meant to understand that um you know personified in daniel that there are some real ugly parts of it perhaps the most ugly parts that you might be able to experience but uh, there is an undelible fun that goes along with it, an excitement, a crass thrill to being single that that keeps pulling you back even even later into life. And um, I think it's a really good uh, I think it's a really good take that he stands in for the single experience. Let's talk about him, the man. Though, what do you think about this line? Mm. I'm gonna hit you with this again. Content warning. Men want an ass that they can park a bike in and set a pint on
0: charming or appalling so the way the way he talks to her is a is another big like problem i have like he has that bit about like oh here's here's a diet idea for you like why don't you only eat when people buy you food and so like at first you'll be like you'll be like slightly overweight or whatever you are at this moment but as you go longer you know you'll lose weight and then you'll start getting more dates and then you know, like as you eat more, you'll gain more weight, get less to, you know, and th- that whole thing. And she's like very, very put off by that. Like, that's an asshole thing to say to someone that you're dating. And uh, <laughs> the thing that you, the way you described, I mean, I don't know, like the, whether or not the line is good, uh, the, the way he talks to her, the, the fact that he said it to her, um, like as off-putting.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, so I'm taking a little bit of an attack dog position, defend your boy. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna pick the funner character, you have to deal with these sort of barbs. Oh, that's
0: it's uh, it's all fair.
1: How about they're sitting on the couch watching cricket for the third weekend in a row, and he's casually—I wish I could remember—fiddling with her nipple. I think is the way that she writes it, as if it were a TV control. Uh, what do you think about this behavior? Is this? Have you ever done this, Steve? Is this, this normal?
0: Is, see, I didn't really find this to be as like a sexual like. Violation. I I kind of like read that as like two people who are see so th- that is a move that you do with someone that you're. It's still they're not they're maybe not in like the the very like throes of the honeymoon stage, but like sex is still like a very very like central part of that relationship. The way she's describing it, it's it, you know she's annoyed that she's not doing something more fun, but I, I think I don't can't remember what part of the book that is, but it it makes me think of like oh if only we were like laying in a field somewhere. And she was in a flowy dress in the middle of summer, but no, we're just, yeah,
1: I, I meant to, I meant to give him a, a light spanking, not send him to the gallows. I think I more thought of it as it's just sort of a general blase, sort of like big dick energy that he flows through every scene with where he acts, where he just throws himself over the scene. And I, I think that's just a, a, a trait that he exhibits very frequently. It's always about him. And if it amuses him to play with her nipple while she watches, while he watches cricket, then so be it, you know? Can I step in and talk about Mark Darcy for 10 seconds, Steve, if it's not too much trouble? Please. <laughs> uh, what I'm not going to do—let me start by saying that. I'm not going to be like, oh, he's so good for her. He's a stabilizing force, you know? That's boring. I don't think anybody wants to hear about that. Yes, obviously, he's, he's a good person, human rights lawyer. Uh, goes well out of his way to— Do some Dick Tracy-like tracking down of Julio in Portugal. That's wild. I'm glad they kept that off screen. Uh, But I'll say this. I'll say he's undercredited for his sharp wit. And Mm. I I would say he's genuinely funny. Bridget has very few moments where she actually gets the better of a conversation. Typically, she mumbles and says, Chudder Duff, and then farts, and then is made an ass of. But whenever she and Natasha square off, Natasha being uh, Darcy's girlfriend for the majority of the novel, uh, she actually kind of gets some good one-liners out, typically about pop culture and sort of, like, standing up for her love of blind date. And whenever she does this, Mark Darcy is always, like, gives her a wink and a nudge and a laugh and and is sort of on her side. I think um, think that's very cool. I, I like how Darcy calls out how snobby and conceited his his girlfriend natasha is from time to time i i find myself perhaps um with with ample critique inbound toward me i find myself relating to mark darcy a bit more you know i i say things that i think are funny and entertaining that aren't always i find myself thinking it's good conversational contribution to to take an informed stance or maybe a pseudo-informed stance when reality I come off as frightfully boring, perhaps. And, and these things made him very relatable for me, and I think relatable in a way that was uh, more ultimately likable than than Daniel Cleaver. Now, it's it's unfortunate he doesn't get all that much screen time, honestly. Um, or I guess it would be page time. But I, I think in the, in the times he does appear, he is sort of this boring specter of sweaterness and ear hair, but... He's also uh, he's also a, a deceptively deep character.
0: I mean, you, the, what your your characterization of yourself as a Darcy is definitely true, and I would say that there's two Darcys talking to each other on this podcast. So <laughs> it's not like it's not like one of us is inhibiting Daniel here. And I'm not just saying that to get myself off the hook. Like it's that is definitely the case. Here's my thing: Wh- at what point does she decide she likes Darcy? What what did? Uh, why does she? Ah. Why does she fall in love with Darcy?
1: Let me tell you when I here. Here's my thesis, okay, and underscored by my defense of Darcy. I think it's actually quite a bit earlier than you might think. I think it's right away at the turkey curry buffet when he pays her no mind.
0: Oh well, that's I mean that's a huge that's something that we haven't really discussed in this book, but like the the courtship ritual of like not paying any attention to the person that you're trying to get the attention of. Is that like a tactic that you ever employed? I don't know. Maybe I employed, I probably no, employed no, it I... unwittingly. I think any, any listener of the OC podcast knows my inability to read signals, uh, is <laughs> is legendary. Um, uh. so, you know, to any women out there who, you know, your signals weren't read or I seemed like I was aloof. It was just me, uh, not knowing what the hell I was doing, but, um, so many mended hearts all of a sudden, <laughs> but my point is is like, okay, so th- you might be true you that that might be correct. That's not him like ex- you know exemplifying any personality trait or characteristic that makes him likable
1: no, oh, it's not uh, so, but maybe it is i I don't know in in a book filled with fonding flirtatious behavior. Uh, maybe a little bit of aloof is exactly what the doctor ordered.
0: Maybe. I, I don't know. my uh, So, okay. So you could say that's where it happened. But in my mind, like, let's like literally, like in a, from a, a literal standpoint, where does she decide? So she breaks up with Daniel and then there's the, the thing where she, he's like inviting her to the Ruby wedding and she doesn't want to go. And then her dad calls and he's like, oh, you got to go to support me. And she goes. And then he asks her out. Like, there's just. He never does he, he doesn't he doesn't have any characteristic or trait that I think that she was actually that she finds appealing. It and I'm not no, saying no, like I, she's I,
1: I think you're right. I think um I think ultimately she likes him because he likes her. And you know how, how many how much has the wheel of human progress turned? How many families, empires, dynasties have been created and destroyed because of of that sentiment? I like them because they like me, but we don't we don't need to discuss it. What what I'm more interested in is like defending him as a character given that he has so much less material to work with than Daniel. Uh, I yeah. find it to be an inspirited endeavor just because. For all of his bells and whistles, I think Daniel is a fairly not shallow just in the way that he's obviously a shallow man. But shallow in that, you know, he's a one-trick pony. He does what he does. He philanders, and he's damn good at it. But I, I found Darcy to have some interesting properties.
0: Okay, that's fair. Here's what I think of Darcy. So there's a meme. You may have seen it. I don't know. Is, uh, there's, is there anything more exciting than a mid-30s white man describing a meme on a podcast? <laughs> uh, I'm, hopefully. but
1: Oh, God, I hope so. Otherwise, we're out of business.
0: So there's a meme. It's like, woman in her 30s, colon... I'm married to the most handsome man, handsome man, colon. And it's just like the dullest white idiot you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> that's how I feel about Darcy. Like that's how I feel about, and that, yeah. that's how I feel about all like the, you know, like the smugged marrieds that she describes in the book. That's how I feel about all of them. And Daniel is not someone you want to marry. Don't get me wrong that I don't I think, you know, it, the book and any like logical human would say that yeah, Darcy's the right one for her. Like you, the position that you're taking is the correct one. But it's saying it's like like the I don't know the fact that that she go. You remember? So we watched uh, reality bites a couple nights ago. Oh God, yes. <laughs> it's yeah. a kind of a it's it's a very similar choice that Winona Ryder is being asked to make in that movie. I mean, Troy Daniel's got some characteristics that Troy doesn't have, but. Basically like she goes any
1: positive ones whatsoever.
0: <laughs> she goes with the wrong guy and you're like, fuck this. And not not yeah. you. I'm saying like the viewers, like, or at least the the 2020s viewer in the 90s, that's a whole other story. But the 2020 viewer is like, fuck that. If this if she would have ended up with Daniel in this book, that would have been a fuck that. And I mean he does like it would a have been more, highly fuck that-able. more yes. atrocious thing to her than anything that Troy does in reality bites. But that's that's my point is that yeah there's no well, there's no way daniel can win this conversation, but
1: no spoilers but it it is sort of what happens in the in the greater arc since we won't be talking about the rest of the books uh daniel is not he's he's not done in bridget Jones's life not by any long shot so um i yeah well well defended i i do i think now that our now that we're Punching out, and I no longer have to be the public defender for Mark Darcy. <laughs> um, I will say, you know, the the funnest part of the book by leaps, bounds, and leagues was uh, was that crash and burn section with with Daniel Cleaver. Very fun writing.
0: And and to give Darcy his credit, I did like the the bit where he's defending the woman, and then like she he gets her the interview. At, you know, there's like that kind of like of course it's another one of times that Bridget like steps and shit. Uh, by like going to the the drugstore to get cigarettes instead of being outside ready for to get the interview, and like Darcy comes in, swoops in, and like you know helps her out. That was pretty endearing. So I mean, I don't. It's yeah. not like I'm not trying to trying to say Darcy fully sucks, but
1: He only mildly sucks. Um, <laughs> all that aside, Steve. Here, here lies our uh, our foray into uh, novelization. Bridget Jones' Diary. Helen Fielding, yeah. excellent work. Loved it.
0: Really, really fun. Like has have not had to think like critically like this about a book probably since high school, maybe college. Uh, Didn't do a ton of like you know comparative literature in college, but really, really um, interesting to you know. There's so, and I mean we'll get into this in the movies as we've talked about. There's so much stuff about filmed entertainment that we we like to dissect uh, that we'll get into. But uh, it's it's it was fun to take on uh, something that's just on the page, and uh, something that's so internal, too. Totally. We clearly had plenty to say about it,
1: uh, and that's what excites me about going forward. These are deceptively rich texts, and uh, I've got the appetite. Steve, next up is Bridget Jones' Diary, the movie, the movie adaptation of the same book. Um, So hopefully you're not sick of hearing about it. Uh, (laughs) We have a lot more in store. What are you excited about? What's your cliffhanger, not in the traditional sense, but in the adaptive sense?
0: Um, I would say the thing that I'm thinking the most about is, are our listeners going to like the segment title Firth His Weight in Gold more, or are they going to like <laughs> uh, Granting and Raving more? I don't know. What about you? <laughs> oh, he, he's
1: tipped our hand. Very good. Very good. If that doesn't get him listening, nothing will. Um, I'm thrilled to see who plays Jude. I just, I'm a big oh, Jude head. Jude. I go deep on Jude. Give me your quick, um, real
0: quick uh, power ring. or, you know, I don't know if you go one through five, but yeah, let's go Tom, Magda, Jude, Shazer. Is there anyone else that you'd throw in there?
1: Jude won, even though Vile Richard seems to be borderline serial abuser, um, and she stays with him. That's, you know. No no comment, but she is the funniest and the funnest one is always getting Bridget into hijinks. She's number one. Shazer, close second. Shazer is, uh, I'm going one to five, untraditional. Shazer at least has that acerbic touch. I think she's got like strong feminist energy. I think she, she resonates a lot better in 2020 than in 1996. I think she was sort of played as a bad guy a little bit in her circle of friends. Tom is like ninth. Didn't like him. Didn't care for him. <laughs> they didn't write him very well. Then keep the Who's the Australian guy? What's his name? I liked him. He's oh, in like the top four. I, I don't know
0: if he got a name. But yeah, the, the dude that Sam, she sleeps Sam, I think
1: it was Sam. Number zero at the top of the list. That young guy who says, mm, you're all squashy. Oh, Gav. Gav. Tom's friend, Gav. That guy, he had some good stuff going for him. I think he's misunderstood. That's my power rankings. All those people and more will be making their on-screen appearances, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about them at length. Steve, this is just the appetizer. We are going back for seconds, as I already mixed my metaphors, at the uh, (laughs) turkey curry buffet of Bridget Jones Diary, and I couldn't be more excited.
0: Me too, man. I'm really, really looking forward to the movies. And uh, yeah, Bridget Jones' edge of reason has real serious uh, cause for concern.
1: I can't tell if I'm more excited or afraid of of that episode, but until then, folks, take it till you make it.